Well, good morning, church. It's really good to see you. Those of you who are joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. Uh, I, I really have come to like the song, Honey in the Rock. Um, I don't know about you, but it kind of struck me today as we're singing that, that, man, we are so much more blessed than what we give God credit for. And I don't know if you have stopped... You know, I remember growing up and my parents would sing that song, Count Your Blessings, right? Name them one by one and see all the things that God has done. And somewhere along the line, I think in my life, and maybe you can identify with this too, that you started counting all the things that didn't go right. And those things started piling up over time. And all of a sudden, it's like you kind of forgot where the blessings were because you have this mound of things that didn't go quite the way that you wanted them to. And so it's a good reminder sometimes to take a pause and say, listen, God has continued to provide for me, even in the situations that I never thought he would show up in, in ways that I didn't expect him to. And so it's not even a part of my sermon today, but I just want to encourage you to take those times to remember that God continues to provide for us in many different ways in our life. Today, we're kicking off a new series. Uh, it's called Freedom, and we are going through the, the book of Galatians. It's actually a letter uh, to a church in Galatia from a guy named Paul, who used to be Saul. His name was Saul, and he persecuted Christians. In fact, he was okay with throwing them in jail and killing them off because he thought that that was the right thing to do. Uh, he felt like God, God was uh, really wanting him to do that. And so he saw them as a threat and he stood by and watched many of them uh, be killed. And then, and then God intervened in his life, changed his name and changed his direction. And then he became uh, somebody who we read a lot from in scripture that helps churches as we try to live out a life more fully devoted to God. This morning, as we kind of kick off, I have a Maybe an interesting way to, to do that uh, this morning. And I don't know about you, but I grew up with a lot of kind of the colloquial sayings, right? Um, my wife reminds me all the time, that's a new one I've never heard before. And I, I don't know where they come from. I just was around people who said them all the time. And so if you know these, I'm just going to say the front part of it. And if you know it, these are pretty well known. Just, just finish it out. You can say it with me, all right? So the, here's the first one. Never look a gift horse... And see, you're doing well already, right? You never look a gift horse in the mouth because if somebody gives you a horse, right? They used, they used to say you could tell how old a horse was by the condition of its teeth. Uh, I don't even know what that means. But, um, but basically what they were saying is it, it doesn't matter how old it is, how long it's been around, you just accept the gift, right? That's what it is. A bird in the hand is worth... There you go. That's exactly right. All roads lead to, oh, oh, yeah, all roads lead to Rome. That's exactly right. Yeah, there. You, so, see, you learn a little bit of something. Here we go. This is one my dad appreciated, one I've tried to pass on to my kids too. A penny saved is a penny earned. That's right. That's exactly right. Last but not least, last but not least, this is one my, my dad used to pass on to me as well. Passing on to my kids. If it seems too good to be true, 
It probably is. Have you found that before, right? Yeah, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And there's always people who will throw out a deal and say, listen, you don't have to pay anything down. This is gonna, you know, it's not gonna cost you anything. And then all of a sudden you bought in and you found out it cost you more than you ever believed. Some of you grew up with that CD or that cassette tape deal, right? Where it's like, you just pay 13 cents and it will sell your soul to the devil forever, right? And you're like, you still, you owe $32,000 on 15 CDs from like 1995. I mean, because if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And this exact idea is the foundation of Galatians. Because there were people who believed that what Paul was preaching to the churches just seemed too good to be true. So there's no way it was real. Oh, they believed in Jesus and they believed in his teachings and they thought he was a great man. In fact, they thought he was sent by God. But just to say that in Jesus alone, you find salvation and that's the good news, that just seemed too good to to, to be true. So it probably wasn't. If you have your Bible, open up to Galatians chapter one. We're gonna read through, we're gonna do some reading over the next few weeks. So make sure you grab those Bibles or scroll open uh, to Galatians chapter one today. This is what it says. Galatians chapter one, starting in verse one, says this. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead, And all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia, grace and peace to you from our God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to our sins to rescue us, uh, rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and the father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Or a different translation may be say, let them be damned. Strong language from Paul as he continues on. This is what he says. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? If somebody says, listen, if if you're believing something else, if you're preaching something else, man, why don't you be damned? And then he goes, Now am I trying to win friends? Now am I trying to influence people, right? Is this the way that somebody goes about and says, yeah, yeah, now now seek my approval. And Paul says, no, no, no. If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. Nor did I receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but rather I received it from a revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard in my previous way of of life in Judaism and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism far beyond uh, people of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. 
But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him from among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see all those who were apostles before I was, but I went to uh, Arab, and later I returned to Damascus. Then three, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. And then I went on to Syria and Sicilia. And I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ they only heard of the report. The man who was formerly, uh, who formerly persecuted us now is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Here in, in what's happening in the church in Galatia, although we don't necessarily read about this just yet, but what's happening is, as Paul is going around in his missionary journeys and he's reaching out to the churches and he's teaching them about Jesus and he's teaching them about the gospel, that there's a group of people who are kind of following him and saying, now listen, does this not seem too good to be true? There's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. In fact, this is addressed in Acts chapter 15. If you know the, the book of Acts at all, then you might be familiar with Acts chapter 15 and this council of Jerusalem. They grab everybody together and they have to have this big church meeting. And you know it's serious business when you have to have a church meeting. And you know things are going to get tense and heated. And that's exactly what happens because there's people who say, no, 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 if you really want to follow Christ, you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law. There's just no other way around it. It's the way we've always done it before. And finally, Peter stands up and he says, listen, God has revealed to me that he's opening the door for everybody to come to him. And so we're not going to put more things on the back of people to try to follow him because Christ is sufficient. And this is good news. See, the issue that this group of Judaizers raised who were kind of going around and debunking Paul and debunking the gospel, the issue that they raised was not that Jesus was good. They knew he was good. It was not that he wasn't holy. They knew he was holy. It wasn't even that he was the son of God. They knew he was the son of God. The issue that they raised was the sufficiency of Jesus as a savior. It seemed too good to be true. And as Paul starts out, if you have time to read more of Paul's letters Generally, he starts off and he says something like, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for you. And he goes on to encourage them and support them and, and, and admonishes them in many different ways. But this letter is different because he starts off and he says, listen, I wasn't sent by anybody but God. And I want to tell you something. Somebody is stealing your freedom. And you better get to the root of it. For Paul, the Judaizers' attack was an attack at the very core of the gospel. 
The gospel is this good news that Jesus came to save. And here's the thing. For Paul, the gospel, the good news, is the gospel, the good news, because it doesn't depend on you. That's what makes the good news the good news. Because if it was dependent on you or if it was dependent on me, it would cease to be good news. You know why I know this? Because I know you. And your spouse knows you, and your, your friends know you, and your family knows you, and your children know you. And they know the you that sometimes wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. They know the you that has a quick temper. They know the you that loves you more than other things. They know the you that's a part that, that holds on to hypocrisy. And so if the good news was relying on you, it would cease to be good news. And the same is true for me. And so for Paul, the gospel is the gospel because it doesn't depend upon us. And so as Paul begins to talk to them and remind them of what the gospel is, he says the primary importance was understanding the gospel equals Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. And man, aren't we tempted to add something to that? All the time. I, I, in my own life, it's like, yeah, it's, it just seems like there's got to be more. There's got to be something different that, that demands something from me, and so I'm going to work to earn it. I'm going to try to earn it in some way. And Paul says, that is not at all the way that the gospel works. And, and the church at Galatia is not the only church that struggles with this. It's not the only church that Paul has to remind. In fact, this is the key theme that he talks about to all the churches that he goes and he shares this message with. In 1 Corinthians, this church in Corinth, he, he writes them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. This is the same message. Which you received and which you have taken your stand and by this gospel, this good news, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. So if, if you try to take this gospel and twist it, if you, if you try to change it up in any way, it's pointless. It's void. It doesn't mean anything. And then he says this, for what I received, this message of what the gospel is all about, I pass on to you as first importance. And what's the first importance? Paul continues on. He says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he raised on the third day according to scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the other 12. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and the other apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. Paul says, listen, there is a first importance here. And the first importance is understanding what the primary point of the gospel is about. 
that Jesus came to earth, that he died, and that he rose again, defeating death and sin, and that is the gospel. The problem is, is that sometimes we forget the first importance and we make secondary importances elevated or equal to the primary importance. You don't ever do that in your life, do you? You don't ever have conflicts where you elevate a secondary issue and make it a primary point. All of a sudden you're in an argument, you know, with your spouse or your kid and, and you take a secondary issue that you weren't talking about at the time and now it becomes the primary point of this thing and it kind of blows everything up. You've never been at work before, right? And there's been a secondary issue and you decide to throw it into a primary concern at the time and it kind of blows everything up. You ever been there before? Oh, come on, church. You've been there before? Here's the thing. When we elevate a secondary issue to a primary position, it will sabotage our future. When we elevate a secondary issue to a primary position, we sabotage, we sabotage our future. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, listen, there are other issues, absolutely, and we're going to get to those. Oh, for sure. You're saved by, by no means, right? That, that you want to go and live in your old sinful nature again? Just because you were saved by grace doesn't mean you want to just kind of wallow in your sin. We're going to get to that. But the primary position, the primary point is that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again for you and I. That's a first importance. And when you try to muddy it with everything else, boy, does it lose every kind of meaning. And then it implodes our future as Christ followers. And you don't even have to go back too far if you've been in church for very long to see the ways in which churches have struggled to live that out. We, we have divided on all kinds of things. I remember growing up in a church and our church split over having a multi-purpose room. We can't have a room where we do multi-things in it. And one of those things was a kitchen, and that was absolutely not allowed in our church. And our church split. Our church split over whether or not we could use King James Version or NIV. Our church split when we decided to project songs on a screen. Some of you have been there. And it's only funny because otherwise you'd cry. And our church split again when we started talking about having a praise team, a group of people who would sing together as if that's not something that God commands. See, when we elevate secondary issues to a primary importance, man, we sabotage our future. Wellhouse, man, do we have our work cut out for us. 
Because the main thing that Satan wants to do to you is to convince you that a secondary part of this gospel message is left out because it's too good to be true. And so buy into the fact that something secondary has to be the most important or equal to the fact that God sent his son to die for you. And that will sabotage everything. I thought about this over the last week or so. This question rolled around in my head. Why, why is it, Steve, why is it for you or why is it for most of us that we want to make a secondary issue primary? Why is it when you argue with people, do you sometimes pull in secondary things and try to make them primary? Why is it that in our Christian walk, we try to make secondary issues of primary importance? And I may not have this all worked out, and you might have some better ideas than I do, but I thought of two things. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first reason that we tend to make secondary issues primary is that we have a desire to be right even when it's not valuable or important. I'm going to say that again and let you write that down or tuck it away in your brain. We have a desire to be right even when it's not valuable or important. Man, I just want to be right. I don't want people to see me as wrong. And so I'm going to fight for right, even when it doesn't matter. There's, here's the cloak, you'll say, a hill of beans, right? Even when it's of no value or no significance or no importance, I want to make sure that I'm proven right. And I love what Andy Stanley says. He, he says, you can either make a point or a difference, but you usually can't make both. And sometimes I, I fear that in our life, we're too busy trying to make a point rather than truly make a difference. So the first one is pride. The second one is independence. Now I'm going to hurt myself here. As man, this is a tough one for me. I kind of grew up with this idea that nobody's supposed to help you. And if you ask somebody for help, it means you're weak. It means you're not good enough. It means you're not strong enough. It means you're not smart enough. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with understanding that I have to depend on other people. Man, it's a daily struggle for me. I think sometimes independence causes us to make secondary issues primary because we have a desire to be self-sufficient even to our own detriment. We have a desire to be self-sufficient even to our own detriment. I need to do it myself. I'm just going to take it on, take it on, take it on, take it on. And all of a sudden we look around and we've isolated ourselves. We've worked ourselves into a hole. We've offended a whole lot of other people for the simple fact of I'm going to do it myself. And I wonder if this is kind of what Paul is getting at. That he says, listen, you're going you're gonna to go down this road and it's, it's probably either going to be pride or self-sufficiency that's going to say, this seems too good. This gospel message seems too good to be true. You got to add something to it. 
But the truth is, and when we accept the gospel, accepting the gospel is accepting the fact that you are in need, you are in need, you are in need of what only Jesus can give. You're in need of what only Jesus can give. You're not good enough to do it on your own. If God said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first 50% and you do the last 50%, you'd never make the last 50%. You'd think you could, but you can't. And God says, I'm going to do the whole 100% and all you got to do is buy in. All you got to do is accept it that I'm Lord and Savior. All you got to do is say, listen, I'm willing to admit that on my own, I'm a terrible person. And I'm a sinner and I can't, I can fix mistakes, but I can't seem to fix sin. That's what Paul says. I know the right thing to do, but I can't ever seem to carry it out. And Paul says this, what a wretched man I am. He says, uh, he calls himself, I'm the chief of all sinners. I think that's because Paul never met me. Accepting the gospel is accepting the fact that you are in need of what only Jesus can give. And listen, you need it. You need the good news. You need this gospel message that, that, that God did it 100% on his own. You don't have to fill in any gaps. Yes, God wants you to change. But he gives you salvation through his son and his son alone. Band, if you'll come on up, I want to finish out with a story today. About a year ago, my wife and I, we got to go to uh, Hawaii. It was awesome. If you ever get the chance to go, you should totally go. Don't go through COVID. Most everything was shut down. That's why it was so cheap, we learned. Mm. But it was still really cool. I mean, you still, I, we still got to go to Hawaii. That was awesome. And one of the places that we went was to the Pearl Harbor Museum and the USS Arizona Memorial. And I don't know how to describe it. If you've been there before, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never been there before, if you've ever walked on like something sacred ground where you could just feel that there's something different going on there. And you know, of all the places that we went and, and shared, it was like we walked on that space and there was like quiet. And it seemed like everything was quiet. And we take a little boat out to, out to the, the sunken ship and you walk onto the memorial and you look down and there's little kind of blobs of, of oil still rising up. They said that's going to do that. For, they project for the next 500 years. Already been doing it for 80 plus years. We stay there and we look at this wall. 1,777 men died in that very place. Unbelievable. We leave that, we go to the museum and we walk around and, and we start to leave. And I'm a reader. I love history. I'm a big, huge history nerd. And so I, I see this book, it catches my eye. It's written by a guy who was on the USS Arizona the day that it was attacked. 
Just over 300 people survived that attack that day, and only six of them were rescued. Six out of just about 2,000 people. Six. What happened early that morning? It was supposed to be a day like every other day. They woke up, they ate breakfast, they were doing their thing. And the, and the USS Arizona, by the way, was supposed to be the ship that was, that was built and it was supposed to be impenetrable by any kind of armor, by any kind of, uh, you know, torpedoes or anything like that. So they felt safe. And here's these guys who are trained. I mean, they're trained to the top notch. They're the best of the best of the best. And they wake up secure. And the fact that they have everything under control. And in the course of 99 minutes, literal hell breaks loose in their world. And they watch as fellow crew member dies right beside them. They call it the lucky shot. It was a, a shot by an incoming plane that shoots down a torpedo from the plane and it hits in just the right spot that it actually penetrates the ship and it goes to the main fuel source and it instantly blows the whole thing to smithereens. You can actually watch a, a little caption of this on Google and, and the whole ship just basically explodes. And the ship is on fire and the water itself is on fire and everything is going up in smoke and the dead are all around and there's seems like there's no hope for survival at all a small ship is passing by and of course plane after plane after plane is dropping bombs and shooting off all kind of uh, guns and all of those things and the ship tries to figure out, man, can, if, can we stay here and try to help? I don't think we can. And so they, they started to dock near the boat to see if they could find any survivors, but it's too dangerous. So they started cutting the cords. And one person finally saw that there's some survivors left. So as the last cord was cut, he decides to throw a rope over because he sees somebody waving their arms and yelling. This is what happens next. Fire burning on the decks. Cherry hot wreckage of our ship. That was one thing. But when I saw the waters of the harbor ablaze, throwing off such intense heat, it was something else entirely. At 21 years old, no one ever told me that water could actually burn and then there were men's bodies, something that still, uh, that, that they were thrashing around on deck in their final throes of death. Others blindly wondering, but most feeling pain, crying out and high-pitched screams and moaning. They didn't resemble in any way men that I had worked with. Almost all burned beyond recognition, beyond anything as a human being. Some clothed only in their skin, burnt black as charcoal. The old expression, died with their boots on, came to mind for whatever reason for me, I suppose, because of the thickness of their boots. Their shoes were still on, though burned almost completely alive. And these burned men continued to moan as they walked, the horrific chorus of men crying out for any kind of help arms outstretched either to guide them to help because they were blind or because it was so painful for their arms to touch their bodies. 
And this was their plight. And as the, the lifeline, the safety line got thrown over, the last six men alive on the ship grabbed the line one by one, transferring from the sinking, burning ship over the burning lake around them to safety. This man recounts, he's the second to last to leave, and he hears a voice. Come on, get moving, he shouts. Above the roar of the two approaching planes headed down battleship row, sure to gun us down. Lauren watches as he, as he watches the planes fly through. He hears, I can't keep holding the ship. And then he recalls, severely burned or not, it was either stay on board to be finished off by the raging fire and smoke or to take our chances at living going over by the rope. And when faced with that moment of reality, there was no choice for the last two burned men but to attempt to cross. See, here's these men who are, are think to themselves, this is indestructible. Here we are on battleship row. We are a part of the United States. We can do anything. And all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where they have to, by any means necessary, grab onto the lifeline and escape with their life or die right there. And it wasn't anything that they could do about it, but to accept the lifeline that was thrown to them. See, I think we live in a culture today where Satan tries to tell us, you're safe, you're good, you have nothing to worry about. It's, it's all fine and, and everything's taken care of and you are big enough, you're strong enough, you're, you're impenetrable by anything else. And the gospel message reminds us of this, that there is but one safety rope and you get to, to choose. And it's not one that you can throw, it's one that's thrown to you. And God says, you don't have to do anything. I'm here. I've thrown it. You just have to accept it. And it's there. And maybe that's not something you've thought of in a really long time. Maybe you've kind of fooled yourself into thinking secondary issues are as important as primary issues. Or maybe you fooled yourself into thinking that, that Jesus plus everything you do equals good. Whatever it is. Just know that the gospel itself is what saves you. It always has. It always will. God, we are thankful for you. We are thankful that you would love us so much. We don't know why, but we're so thankful that you'd love us so much that you'd send your one and only son to live a life to show us how to live. And we're so thankful that you would send your son as a sacrifice for the things that we would never be able to do our own. And God, we're so thankful that you overcame. That our God did not stay dead but conquered the grave and with it conquered our sin. And that's the gospel. 
That's the good news. That in the end, our God reigns, our God wins, and our God throws us a lifeline that we don't have to go down with our own ship, that we don't have to hold on to pride or hold on to our independence and succumb to our own future. But that you save us if we want it. So God, help us want it more than anything more than being right, more than having it our way, more than proving ourselves just or good or kind, just to want you more. Father, we thank you and help us to live out a life that is thankful for you. It's in your name that we pray.